part, everybody. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Chris Rayner, who's an orthopedic surgeon and an entrepreneur. He can be found on Instagram at Stable Knees as well as YouTube. He's going to give us some great advice about matching to orthopedics and life as an orthopedic surgeon with interests outside of work. All right. So the first question we had for you was if you could uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are. Okay, perfect. Uh, so my name's uh, Chris Rayner. I'm an orthopedic surgeon in uh, Cornwall, uh, which is about an hour away from Ottawa. Uh, I am a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon. So uh, most of my practice or probably 50-60% of my practice has to do with sports medicine related injuries knees, shoulder arthroscopy, hip arthroscopy, ankle arthroscopy. I also do some trauma and I also do some joint uh, replacements, both knees and hips. I've been in practice for, this is my 13th year now. And um, although I work in Cornwall, I, I basically live in, in uh, Ottawa. Um, I also, apart from doing that, um, so I'm a full-time orthopedic surgeon, but apart from doing that, I'm also the owner of an integrated health care facility called Human 2.0, and uh, that's also in Ottawa. And so I run that facility with my wife, and that facility is um, basically a sports medicine orthopedics rehab clinic. We have sports medicine, orthopedics, uh, physiotherapy, massage therapy, um, group fitness and um, mobility training injury prevention uh, that we do there. So I do that as well. And then finally, the third part of what I do is uh, social media content creation. Uh, so I have uh, my wife and I run about five different YouTube channels. And um, I also do stuff on Instagram, TikTok. So that's basically who I am, what I do. Uh, how did I get here? I don't know. It's been a long road. Um, but um, I, I basically, I did a bunch of degrees at Western. Then I went and did orthopedics uh, at Ottawa U. I came back to Western to do a fellowship at Fowler Kennedy. Um, and then uh, I came back to the Ottawa area to find a job. So that's kind of the Coles Notes version of what I am, who I, what I do, and, and how I got here. All right. And then um, why did you choose to do orthopedics and did you consider anything else as a medical student? So um, I chose to do orthopedics. Well, first, I guess uh, I chose to do a surgical subspecialty or surgical specialty first because I'm, I'm, I'm a kinesthetic type of person. I love to do things with my hands and um, I'm, I'm, I have a very hard time sitting down at a desk or, or just sitting down and, and, and not actually doing something physical. So I knew from, from an early uh, point in my career that I, or early point in my training, that I wanted to do something that was surgical or at least had procedures uh, so that I could be doing things with my hands. And then uh, when I was at Western during my undergraduate degree, I was a football player. And uh, so, uh, and at that time, I was kind of trying to hope to make the CFL. So um, I, I really like competitive sports. Football uh, has been a part of my life for for many many years. After I played football, I then coached my sons in football, um, and I've been since I've been in Ottawa. I've been one of the team physicians with the GGS. Uh, and then when the Red Blacks came to Ottawa, we had many of those players at our facility where we were training them. So I've always been um, 
interested in, in the sports aspect. And when I kind of thought about a surgical subspecialty, I thought, oh, geez, well, you know, as an orthopedic surgeon, you really have an opportunity to stay around that atmosphere. So, so I, I, I kind of was interested in it because of that. Uh, and also part of my own experience as an athlete is that I had been injured on a number of occasions and I'd had surgery uh, several times. Pete Fowler uh, had done some of my surgery and I kind of really thought it was cool what they were doing. So I had an interest in the, in the, uh, the surgical techniques that they um, used. Um, and, and when I kind of thought about streamlining my life, I thought that um, the, the specialty that would allow me to be around sports teams the most and be around the gym the most and and basically you know allow me to not grow up would be orthopedics uh, and sports medicine so that's that's kind of how I, I ended up with that did I consider other things uh, yeah I did I can most seriously, I considered general surgery, and I, I pretty much knew when I was a medical student that I was doing orthopedics, but I really had a great time with this, um, the surgical group um, at Western as a medical student, uh, and, you know, I, I don't remember, I don't know if a lot of these guys are there anymore, but I, I, I was under Ward Davies' team, and um, I can't remember who was his partner at that time at St. Joe's, but I really had a good time with, with, with that team, and, and I thought to myself, even though um, I knew I wanted to do orthopedics, if I couldn't do orthopedics, um, is there something else that I could live with matching? Um, and, and I thought, yeah, you know, general surgery, but I didn't really want to go anywhere else. So when I applied, I applied to every orthopedic program in the country and, and then general surgery, but only at Western. Um, so I, I kind of thought about that. Um, I, I, I gave a little bit of a thought to ob uh, because some of the surgery that they do, some of the um, uh, pelvic surgery is pretty cool. And, and so I kind of thought about that, but um, there was two things. And I suppose as an OB-GYN, you could be more gyne than, you, than OB, or you could be, you, you could choose. But for me, the thing that turned me off uh, about that is that um, delivering babies is really cool. I really like that a lot. Um, and, and to be part of that experience when like this, this new life, comes into the world and you'd be able to hand that to the, the the parents. Like I cried when my own children were born and I know the overwhelming sense of, of joy that I had. And so to be part of that in somebody else's life, um, I thought that was amazing. But two things that turned me off Bobby. Number one, every baby wants to be born at night and I love my sleep, man. So, so that, that was a problem. Um, and then number two, just as being able to be present when the baby is born, that's like reaching the, the, the summit of Mount Everest. It's like, yes, this is it. You can see the world, it's so beautiful, everything is so wonderful. But just as that is the highest of the high, 
when something goes wrong and, and, and the baby, there's something wrong with the baby or whatever, or the baby doesn't make it and you have to tell the parents, that is the lowest of the low. And, and to be honest, man, I am just not, I am not, I do not have the emotional resilience and the strength to be able to do that job. And then to be able to say, um, say to a parent, oh, your baby died. You know, like um, as, as a physician, we have to learn how to be able to communicate to people about death and say, hey, you know, your, your, your spouse, your, your, your mother or whatever has died. And, and we, cert- we, we learn how to do that over time. But there's something different about having to do that for, for a baby, or a child, like newborn. I, I just, I, personally, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, I, and to me, that was the number one reason. And even if you were just primarily dining, you still got to cover OB call. And, and I just thought, man, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And even though that's probably fairly rare, it's just, it's, it's disheartening enough that I just, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So I, I, I tip my hat off to the people that, that, that do it. Uh, some of my classmates are, are OB nine and, and, and whatnot. Tip my hat to them because they have more strength than I do. But uh, yeah, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I hear you. Handing mom the baby for the first time is definitely incredible. I'm glad I got to experience that. Exactly, man. It's like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful wonder. Even just talking about it makes me smile. Yeah, especially the ones that, um, you know, unfortunately had things go wrong in previous pregnancies, and this one finally pulls through. It's, it's great. Exactly. Um, now, speaking of choosing ortho, a couple things that can kind of scare people away. One, especially in Canada, finding a job after all that training, now being on the inside, do you think that's as big of an issue as it used to be? I, so I haven't heard the latest numbers. Um, so I, I don't know how much it's a problem right today. Um, the last numbers that I heard probably were about two years ago. Um, and at that time there was 150 qualified trainees who were done. They had finished a fellowship, couldn't get a job. And so, you know, when I, when I finished, so I, I've been in practice for thir- 13 years. When I finished, um, I did one fellowship. Uh, my goal had been to do two. Uh, to do a sports medicine and then do a trauma. Uh, but my wife, um, she wears the pants. She lets me borrow them on occasion. And um, she said, okay, one's enough. It's time for you to get to work. So I did one fellowship and, and it was enough for me to get a job. But now guys, uh, guys and girls are doing two and three fellowships, man. And that's re- like two is routine and some people are doing three and, and then they have a master's. And it's funny because you um, my wife has said, oh, you know, would you consider like, um, like we're from Kitchener, Waterloo area, uh, Cambridge, and, and our families are still there. And she says, oh, you know, maybe we should go move back home. And, you know, there's, you know, I have a business here outside of just my, my, my hospital uh, career. I have a business. You know, so that's a little bit hard to pick up and leave. But um, uh, that, all of that aside, it's difficult. Now, even even though I have 13 years of experience, it's difficult for me to pick up and go because on paper, I have one fellowship, right? And I'm competing against these guys who have multiple fellowships, and research papers and all that. And even though I've got 13 years of experience, um, it, it looks better when they've got all these fellowships. 
Um, having said that, do I think the situation is uh, as bad? Well, I know that there are a lot of guys that are doing fellowships and then they're also doing locums. So at, at our hospital right now, we have a guy who's on his second fellowship uh, in Ottawa uh, and then he's covering weekend call. We have one, one partner in our group of four who's uh, older and uh, we have a fellow who's doing locums for him and uh, on weekends and over Christmas and holidays. And so I think there's opportunities for people to get involved, uh, you know, even though they may not get a full-time position, uh, opportunities to do that. Uh, also, one of the things that I did, because um, when I came to Ottawa, there was no job, even though uh, I was from, I had trained here, I, I knew there was no job. So I, I kind of did surgical assists uh, for, for three, two or three years first. Uh, I did surgical assists, surgical assists and locums. Um, so, and it's just kind of, it keeps you present in, in the mind of the people who are running the program. It keeps you visible so that in the event something comes up, somebody gets sick, whatever, boom, you can pop in there. And, and I think that there are opportunities. I, I do think it's hard. I don't know if it's as hard as it was a couple of years ago, but you know, it's it, certainly there are some challenges. Um, at the Ontario Orthopedic Association meeting, maybe two years ago, uh, maybe it was last year, no, two years ago, um, one of the things that um, one of the surgeons from out east had talked about, he had proposed to the Ontario group, was a model that they were trying, and I think they're, I think they're, they are doing this now as a trial in, in Halifax, or in Nova Scotia, and that is they are um, basically doing a five-year phase-in, phase-out program where you have a um, practice sharing. So you have somebody who's towards the end of their career, uh, and then you have somebody at the beginning, and they both share the practice, and the billing uh, for that practice, remuneration is 100%, but in year one, it's 20, 80, so 80 for the senior, 20% for the for the junior. And I'll, granted, it's not what you're going to make as a full-time orthopedic surgeon, but if the choice is working as an orthopedic surgeon and, and still you're going to make some money on the assist side, right? So if, it's, if the choices are working but only working at 20%, knowing that in five years you're going to be at 100%, or not working at all, I'll take the 20%, right? So, and then basically every year, 20% would switch uh, directions, right? So you'd go 20, 80, then you'd go 40, 60, um, 60, 40, and right until you had gone 100 the, uh, for the young guy. So, um, you know, that's something that I think they're trying out, out uh, east, and it may, they may have to implement something like this here. It's funny because when I was going through my training, I knew that we had uh, in 2008 stock market crash. And I think a lot of people lost a lot of their, um, their pensions, their, their, their retirement savings in that. And so that kind of kept a lot of people around. And then um, I've heard stories about, and I don't know whether this is true, but I've heard stories about how that guys were so um, 
desperate to work that like in the GTA, you had a lot of senior guys that were like, ah, man, I'm, I'm just not going to do any call. And, and you can take all my call. They wouldn't, you wouldn't get any elective time, but you would, you'd be working and you can make, if you were doing a lot of call, you can make good money doing just that alone. Right. It's, and again, it's not what you would make as a full-time surgeon, but it's more than enough to sneeze at. Right. Like, and, and the, the, the thing about that is that you really don't have as much of the responsibilities as a normal surgeon. Cause the, the normal surgeon has got to cover your, your stuff day to day. So and, and because the, the guys were doing that and they could wait, I can do my elective stuff and I don't have to take call, that made people, so the stock market crash and then like hungry, hungry guys coming in and taking all their call, that made people stick around too, right? So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's tough, but uh, I don't know, as I said, I, I'm not sure that it's as bad as it was. Um, it, it's... If you if you really want to do orthopedics, you know, I, I wouldn't, let's put it this way. I wouldn't do another profession um, or I wouldn't choose to match to something else just because I didn't think I would get a job in orthopedics. Uh, I would, if I knew that that was the case going into ortho, I would just be, try to be uber creative about how I was making opportunities and I would be working to make opportunities from year one as PGY resident, PGY one resident. I'd be chatting people up, do whatever I could, wherever I could um, to get myself known, get my face known and, and out there. It's, it's challenging, but I don't think the, the, the mountain is insurmountable. All right. And then the other factor that can scare people away, not only from ortho, but surgical subspecialties is sort of hearing about the tough lifestyle, not only during residency, but afterwards as well. Now being on the other side of residency, would you say your lifestyle is pretty good? Do you have time for yourself outside of work? So um, uh, let me preface this by saying I'm a A plus personality. Um, So I'm always filling my plate with more. Um, and the only thing better than more is more. Um, so uh, that that's just me. So um, I thought that I worked pretty hard as an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I did try to uh, balance my life a little bit because uh, when I came into the program, I already had kids. I was already a father uh, and, and I was a little bit older than some of my, my counterparts. So I, I you know, I, I think that uh, I was a lot as an older adult, uh, I had less of a problem saying to my preceptors, um, yeah, you know what, I'm going home after this because I'm going to actually see my kids. That didn't necessarily make me a favorite, but, you know, I I think that it allowed me to survive. Having said that, I, I work in a community hospital and I kind of laugh now a little bit I probably work harder now than I did as a resident uh, because I'm like, I don't have medical students generally. Like I have medical students from time to time, residents occasionally, but it's not a regular for me. Right. So I'm the guy that's doing pretty much everything. And um, because of that, I'm, I'm quite busy. And I, I laugh because I used to never want to get up before six o'clock in the morning. 
right? And and I don't have to get up six so that I could be there to do seven o'clock rounds before the staff guy. Man, I'm up at five thirty every day now. And even and if I sleep, if I'm in bed till seven, seven is like luxury sleeping in. So I work harder now, but it the thing is, I'm working harder for me instead of for somebody else. And and to be honest, you, you probably don't necessarily need to do what I'm doing, but it, keep in mind, I, I as I said, I, I run a, I ha, have a full-time orthopedic practice. I run a business with my wife, right? Like we manage that business. So like somebody could manage that business alone, that would be their full-time job. So, so I basically have those two full-time jobs. And then because that's just not enough, then we run like five YouTube channels, which we're trying to grow and, and, and a social media platform. So it, it's it, like, do I have time? I don't really have a lot of time, um, but that's by my own choosing. Right. Like if I got rid of my business, if I got rid of YouTube, I could probably lead a pretty comfortable life. So I do work harder now, but it's not necessarily because that's required. I think that that's because of the situation I put myself into. Do you work hard compared to the average Joe? Right. It doesn't matter what you do as a physician, pretty much you are going to be working harder than the average bear. You're not working 40 hours a week. And um, you, you know what I mean? Like having your weekends free all the time. Uh, it, like, I guess it depends on what specialty you are. But um, one of the things that they don't teach you about in, in medical school is, is all the paperwork that's required and, and forms and everybody wants this. And, and of course, when they give it to you, it was due yesterday. Right. And, and, like it's just it's a, that there's a lot of that a lot of busy work and electronic medical records they're great because i don't have to maintain a big database of charts and all this kind of stuff but um electronic electronic medical records are are also not necessarily as easy as you would think that they would be and it's uh, it's it, you know, it's a lot of work and um, either you have to be really fast, really good at dictating, or um, you have to be really fast typist. I've tried to scribe before. And like, if I had a good scribe, you know, somebody who was a medical student or whatever, who knew the terminology and all that, maybe, but like it, the scribe didn't work out all that well. So it's, it's, Certainly it's busy, um, but any physician life is going to be busy. Um, is, is life as a surgeon going to be busier? Probably. But you know what, man? I posted something on my Instagram yesterday because it was like the first time I was back in six weeks doing elective surgery. And uh, like, like I was in my zone, man. Like, like it's, it's awesome to be there. And people who don't, if you, if you don't, like surgery you, you you think i'm talking like a madman but like it was it's so cool like i man i i love to go into the or and somebody comes in with a fractured femur or whatever and i can fix that in one hour in three one inch incisions 
and and that person can walk out of the OR after like they their leg was on sideways. Like that is the coolest thing ever, right? And so to to be able to do that, I, like if that means I got to work hard, so be it, man. I, then I'm good with that, right? Because it is. I just think that is fun. Right. And, and not, and I recognize not everybody would like that. Not everybody does, but that's cool. Another thing that's cool is like, um, watching TV, right. Watching some sports program or whatever, seeing some athlete score a touchdown or doing whatever and knowing, yeah, I operated on that dude and, and he's out there because of what I did. Right. Like that, that is amazing. That's like, it's fun. It's, it's just, it's cool. And, and so yes, you got to work hard, but to be honest, man, we all in, in medicine to get into medicine, people had to work hard. Like you, you wouldn't be in medicine if you were afraid of hard work. So people are much more attuned to lifestyle now than they were prior to my entry and even during my tenure like when i was in residency that was starting to become a big thing and i was a um, you know i was a paro rep for a while and and lifestyle was an issue and it's much more of an issue now but yes that has to be part of your decision making but you also gotta love what you do man because you're gonna be doing it (laughs) you know for the next 30 years And, and you can't if 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 you walk into work every day hating what you do, it's going to be a long 30 years, you know? So yeah, I work hard, but I love it, man. I love what I do. All right. And then switching gears now a little bit to the student perspective, having been a student, a resident now on the other side, what would you say programs look for in applicants and what makes a really good ortho applicant? So with respect to what programs look for, it's the, it's really pretty simple. Um, And it it boils down to this. When we are selecting patients for residency program and for fellowship programs, we're basically pre-screening workmates, right? That's that's what we're doing. And we want to see, is this the guy or the girl that I can work with, right? Do they demonstrate the skills Um, Do they demonstrate the knowledge and the attitude that I want to align myself with in the future? Because potentially if I, um, it's funny, I always used to say to people, um, people who like, I would say medicine is like an old boys club, man. Once you're in, you're in, you, you got to try, you like, you can't just fail out. You actually have to try to fail out because the, the, the program will support you because you, you, People rewind, right? It doesn't happen that often, but people rewind and we will support, the program will support you to try and get you through. Um, and, and that medical school is like, but with residency, people, go, it's like, okay, well, we're not supporting you anymore because you got to be on your own. And we need to know that when I turn my back, you're not going to screw stuff up. You know what I mean? When I go on vacation, you're not going to screw stuff up. When when you're on call, I don't need to cover up. I don't need to fix your mistakes. Um, you're not going to do stuff that's dangerous that I have to fix. So it so there's a lot of um, us trying to 
discern those qualities and those characteristics when we're when we are um, looking to people. So you know, obviously, you you want to show that you are a, a self starter. You have initiative um, that you can work independently, but you and you also need to demonstrate confidence because um, a, a, a surgeon who lacks confidence is a problem. Okay, they're a problem for themselves and they're a problem for their own patients, problem for their colleagues. So you, you need to um, have confidence because the buck stops with you. But you also need to have humility, right? Because you have to know when, oh shit, this is, I, I'm this, oh, I, whatever that is, I've never seen it before. It's not in the textbooks. I didn't watch any YouTube videos. I don't know what that is. I got to call a friend. They need to know, you need to know when to call a friend. And you never want to call a friend too early because that makes you not be confident and not, you know, maybe that's a problem because you don't have enough knowledge. But you want to demonstrate that you have confidence, but you also have humility. So in the, you want to be independent, show initiative, show that you can be uh, independent, show that you have confidence in your skill set and your knowledge, um, but also show that you can, <clears throat> you um, have humility. You want to demonstrate that you are a lifelong learner because things change all the time. There is stuff that we were doing in orthopedics 20 years ago that we look at that now and go like, what was wrong with those savages? They were like barbarians, man. Like who does that? And I know that there's stuff that I'm doing right today that we think is cutting edge. 20 years from now, they're going to go, what? Like, were these guys smoking crack? Why were they doing that? But, and so you need to be up up to speed and and it's, it doesn't mean that you need to be reading a bazillion journals all the time but you kind of need to know what's going on and you, you need to at least at least be perusing um some abstracts reading some journal articles from time to time seeing what's going on um going to conferences so that you can learn going to going to various courses and, and that kind of stuff so that so that you can um, do that so you you have to demonstrate that you are a, a lifelong learner you have to demonstrate that you're just not afraid of hard work um and the the thing um everybody wants to know that when they bring in a partner that partner is going to carry their share of the load so you have to be able to just you know show people that um, and this kind of goes back to this whole lifestyle issue lifestyle is good but everybody wants a life some kind of lifestyle right and if you're always if you're always buggering off at four o'clock and leaving stuff on call for your colleagues great you have an awesome lifestyle but i can tell you your workplace lifestyle is gonna suck right because everybody's gonna be really upset that that you're not doing any cases on call and they're getting everything else. Um, so you have to do that. Uh, or so you have to um, be able to, to show that you can work. And sometimes when you don't want to work, you know, that means you got to stay late or you got to come in at two o'clock in the morning. And you also have to be, uh, show that you can be cognizant um, of your, of your colleagues and, and you know, that you are fair and, and 
um, balanced in your approach. And what I mean by that is that um, you don't necessarily want to come in um, and um, make people think that you're going to cherry pick all the good cases. You're going to cherry pick all the great patients. You're going to hog up all the OR time because at the end of the day, everybody's got to eat, man. Everybody's got to eat, and people not every you know nobody wants you to get all the filet mignon when they get all the scraps, right? Um, and, and so these are qualities that, as a medical student, it's hard for you to demonstrate all of this stuff um, when you're applying to a, a residency program. But those are the things that you want to think about. And when you're thinking about going into your interview, you want to try to provide examples where you can demonstrate that you, at some point in your life, have shown those qualities, right? We want to have people who are also, that show that they, um, you know, they are well-rounded. You don't have, you don't have to have climbed Mount Everest and you don't have to have fed the orphans with Mother Teresa. No, but we want to see that, that you have some other things in your life because Orthopedics is a profession, it's a career. It used to be a life for some people. It's not, you need to have something else in your life, right? It cannot just be your life. The, the days of that, people being acting that way are, are over. Um, so they just want to see that you have something else because you will need that other thing to draw on for strength as you go through because residency is hard. And it's like, you know, um, it, and it's not, it, it is hard. Like, no, you can't put it any other way. It's hard. And, and this is going to sound like, oh, you know, one of these old time stories where like, I walked to school bare feet in the snow, uphill both ways. But man, I, I used to tell people when I, so there were no peril rules when I first started. I started in 2000. And uh, every third day I stayed up for 36 hours straight because that's just what we did. Right. And I was I was awake. There was no uh, there was no rules about calling residents after eleven o'clock. Like they called you all if a, if a hip showed up at one o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, you got up and and admitted that hip, and um, it was hard, man. I had no doubt about it. Like I by PGY three, I was exhausted, like completely exhausted, and and I actually had to take three months medical leave of absence just to like get my head back on straight and, and, you know, like, like just re-energize myself. So things, it's hard, but things, you are fortunate now that there are parallel regulations, things, things have changed. So um, yeah, you want to just be able to demonstrate that you can work hard, but that, that, that you also have some a balance, a sense of balance in your life. Right. And, and you're able to manage stress, um, deal with stress, um, and you want to be able to have good interpersonal skills because you, you need to be able to talk with your colleagues, deal with your colleagues, um, resolve problems with your colleagues, right? And and some and at times ask ask for help from your colleagues. So um, those those are the kinds of things um, that you want to be able to speak to. And they may not ask you those things directly, each of those things, but that's what we're looking for. Can I work with this person? Because Basically, even though they're your staff person and you're a resident, 
they're, you're kind of like a junior colleague to them for five years. And, and they're going to be accountable for your mistakes, right? And for your work output and, and effort and all of that. So that's what they want to see. And, and it's, it is an audition for you working. And here's the thing that um, people need to understand. Um, and this is true in any specialty in, in the country, right? If, you, if you're staying in the country, the, for example, so we're talking about orthopedics here. The orthopedic circle is pretty small, right? I don't know every orthopedic surgeon in the country, but I know quite a few of them. And I know um, many of the, I know several at each site or at each, each institution. So if you're a jackass, right? It doesn't matter that you were a jackass at Munn out in Newfoundland. Everybody across, but when you go to do your, you go to do your, um, your uh, interviews, everybody across the country is going to know that you were a jackass, right? So you, you just need to be able to demonstrate that you can work with people. And, and that's, that's really what it is. We, cause we are, we know, um, that this is basically a mini interview, right? And, and the residency is an audition for you to work, right? It's a five-year audition. And at the end, you want to secure a job. So you want to show people that you can work with the team. You can put in work. You can work independently. You can do all the things that I talked about previously. All right. And then uh, in your opinion, are surgeons born or made? Ah, shoot. So... I think, so the skills that we do, okay, the manual skills that you can, you can make that, right? You can, um, with enough training, well, to a large part, you can make it. There are some people who they just don't have the manual dexterity. They don't. Um, and, and we see that during residency sometimes. And I'm sure if you ask uh, orthopedic surgeons, um, you know, from any program, they'll say, oh yeah, this guy, super smart, super smart. I don't want him to operate on me or my, or my family. Right. And, and it's just because some people don't have the manual to stare. But for the most part, you could train somebody how to do the skills, but that manual dexterity part, you, you got to be born with that. Um, and the love like being in the OR and to, and to not be phased by um, the blood, all of that, um, and to be intrigued and interested in how the angles go together, how everything fits together and how the screws make things suck together and the plates hold, like that, and that's, you are born with that. Either you have it or you don't. So, yeah, I, I think you could teach anybody the skills, but I, I think in the end, it you orthopedic surgeon, you got to be born for it. And it's funny because, um, you know, like um, I, I'm always reading the comments on a lot of my social media stuff, and um, people who see my stuff for the first time, they go, "Oh, ortho! I couldn't, I should have known that, right?" Because there's ortho; it's like this certain mold of person, but I, to be honest, I just think that's because, as you said, like it's 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 a personality and it's a, it's a, uh, just you are born with that, 
right? Like, and, and the people who are born with that, je ne sais quoi, whatever it is, the people who are born with that gravitate towards that specialty, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think ultimately, in the end, you, you have to be born for it. All right. And then last but not least, uh, looking back at your career in life, any regrets or advice you would have for people at our level, both medicine and otherwise? Hmm. So I always tell people, I don't ever have any regrets because looking at where I am today, if I had to do everything I did in order to get to this spot today, like I, it's kind of like the butterfly effect, right? Um, you change one thing and everything, everything in the future changes. I, I love where I am today and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to change anything. Now, were there things that were hard? Yes, there were things that were hard. Could I have made other decisions better? Um, certainly I could have, you know, um, I could have been, I could have been more systematic in my, my approach to studying as a resident. And um, like you, you're, you're going to need help when you go through. I, I probably could have been a little bit more selective about how I went about um, getting help, um, knowing when to get help. And, that, and that's something that I talked about before, knowing when to call a friend. Um, I could have been more selective about that. Um, but I, I would just say basically uh, words of wisdom, if people were to learn from my mistakes, uh, I would say realize that in your um, orthopedic training, although it, the number one, you're never going to be able to know all the information. No, ne never. There's too much, um, too much information for you to be able to, to know it all. So you can't do that. So you have to... Um, prioritize what you're going to learn and you need to learn what's appropriate to your level. I'm reading a book right now, which is called the 80, 20 principle. Uh, and it's talking about the Pareto principle. And, um, and basically the Pareto principle is that 80% um, of your results can come from 20% of your high effect uh, work. Right. And so basically that's saying that 80% of your work is, is, does nothing, does next to nothing, and most everything um, that you uh, gain or acquire comes from that small 20%. So what I would say to people is, first of all, learn what's appropriate for your um, your stage in your career. And what I mean by that is that, for example, if you're a PGOI-1 resident, nobody, you, nobody gives a shit if he knows about the complications. Like, that's kind of gravy. Okay, but nobody expects you to know that. So don't don't be wasting your time learning that. You should be learning about anatomy, surgical approaches, and um, di the diagnosis of problems. That's all you should be. Focus your stuff on that. Become a superstar in that. That's the 20%, right? Spend your time on that 20% and it'll give you 80% of the results. As you progress, you add on stuff to that, right? Okay, how do I now treat this pro problem that I, I recognize? Oh yeah, okay, now I got the treat. Okay, now I've learned how to treat that. Um, how do I rehabilitate that patient? Okay, right, right, now I've done that. Oh, complications. Yes, how do I do that? Um, we used to always get complications in rounds and, and round, doing rounds is like 
nerve wracking, man. You're in front of the whole department. People are firing questions at you. And one thing I didn't realize, it took me my whole residency and into my fellowship to realize this. Some of the time when you, like you have to learn, first of all, there's, there's lots of different ways to fix a problem. Um, and so there's kind of the generally accepted way. And, and then, but there are variations of that. So that tells you that nobody's one answer is right, right? Um, there's a basic protocol that you have to, to follow, but nobody's one answer is right. So as long as you stick close to the protocol and you can support what you say, then that's good. But you also have to recognize no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, if you operate enough, there's going to be complications. There just will be, right? And some of the time when you answer something in rounds, you answered it right. You got the right answer. Doesn't matter. They don't care because they weren't trying to set you up for the right answer. They were trying to set up a scenario so that they can give you the complication because they want to see if you can answer the complicate if you know how to treat the complication. So you have to understand that sometimes, um, yeah, you're going to get complications and you need to be able to address that, handle that. So when the complications, people talk to you about complications, don't think, oh, shit, I did something wrong. Oh, my God. It's sometimes it's just they want to know if you can handle that. So 80-20, um, um, learn what's the, the important 20%. Um, spend your time focusing on that. Let the other stuff go. Increase what you know in a um, manner that is commensurate with your level of training. Um, and then understand that, yeah, if you do stuff enough, there's gonna be uh, complications. And, and when there is complications, just don't freak out, learn how to handle it. Um, learn how, as I said before, one of the things that's, you need to have humility, but you also need to be confident. You need to be confident in your ability because the buck, when you are a resident, when you're a fellow, um, the buck stops with somebody else. But when you're the staff person, the buck stops with you. And so you need to develop your, your confidence so that once you go out into practice, you are safe and you can trust yourself to do stuff because when you're in the OR, you well, sometimes there's a case that's so difficult, you got you to gotta tell the, the scrub nurse, oh, yo, um, can you call so-and-so? I need a hand here, right? But other times, it's the middle of the night. You don't have the opportunity to call somebody. You got to figure, figure it out, man. And it wasn't like you saw in the textbook. There was no YouTube videos on it. And it's like, oh, man, how am I going to MacGyver this? You got to make something up. So, um, yeah, you got to have some confidence. Um, yeah. So, so I don't know. Those, those are the things that I, that I would say um, for students moving forward. All righty. That's everything we had for you. Thank you so much. Do you want to just uh, drop your sort of social media usernames and things like that so they know where to find you and follow along? For sure. Um, so first of all, I, I, before I do that, I just want to say thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak um, and answer questions for you tonight. I greatly appreciate that. I'm always amazed when people want to hear this dumb guy speak. Um, so, so that's so that's cool. Um, so I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Stable Knees, all one word, Stable Knees with a Z. Um, I am on uh, TikTok, Dr. Dot Chris Rayner, R-A-Y-N-O-R. I am on YouTube as Dr. Chris Rayner, and then I have uh, Dr. Chris, a short 
channel and Dr. Chris podcast channel as well. Um, but if you basically look, look those up, you'll see my uh, face uh, as the thumbnail and that's where they can find me.